What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our Advent series leading up to Christmas. We are looking at the story of Charles Dickinson's A Christmas Carol, where Ebenezer Scrooge is confronted by his deceased business partner, Jacob Marley. This ghost tells Scrooge he missed the whole point of life. He was so busy making money, he forgot to care about people. As we explored this idea last week, we saw how making a human connection with another person can bring us hope. Uh, It can transform lives and even save lives. Ultimately, our hope is found in Jesus Christ, whose symbolic arrival we wait for throughout Advent, and especially on Christmas Eve. This week, though, we continue the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, looking at the first ghost to visit him in the story, the ghost of Christmas past. We'll look at what role our past plays in our own redemption as we look at the story of Scrooge. To get at this idea, we're going to look at a passage from 2 Corinthians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to people living in the city of Corinth. The Apostle is actually in some hot water in this letter. There are different groups in the ancient church that expect different things of him. He wanted to come and visit them, but wasn't able to go, and he is writing to defend his ministry among the Corinthians. In our passage for today, he is sharing something he's learned, how he found peace in living by faith. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to chapter 5, verse 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we explore this passage, let's 
pray to hear from God. Join me in prayer. God, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Help us to find peace in our past, in our imperfect bodies, in the things that haven't gone our way this week, this month, or even this year, Lord. Let our peace be in you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Golden Balls probably doesn't sound like a terribly exciting name for a game show, but it took England by storm back in 2007 with millions of people watching. The premise was simple enough. You start with four players, and you need a majority vote to eliminate one person. Uh, And then in the next round, you vote to remove one more player. And then when there's just two people, it really starts to get interesting. You have to decide if you're going to split the prize money or steal the prize money. If you both pick split, then each gets half the money. If you pick split and the other person, though, picks steal, then you lose. They get all the money and you walk away empty-handed. But if both try and steal, everyone loses. It makes for a dramatic finish to the game show when they reveal who split and who stole, who won and who lost. About half the time, people will agree together to split the money so everyone wins. But every once in a while, one or both will try to steal. And when that happens, you have to wonder about people as they lie about what they're actually going to say, whether they'll split or steal. They lie, and you have to think, are people trustworthy? Can you really believe that another person will follow through on what they say they're going to do? There's one particular episode of Golden Balls that sticks out, though, because it broke all the rules. The last two contestants were discussing together if they would split or steal, and one of them, Nick, tells the other contestant, I am going to steal, and I will split the money with you after the show. This doesn't make any sense. If they just both pick split, then the money will be divided by the game show. But Nick is adamant. He is going to steal. There is no other option he will pick, so the other person's only option is to split the money. Otherwise, they both lose. Once it comes time to reveal their choices, the other contestant reveals split, and Nick, Nick has chosen split too. He said he was dead set on stealing, and then he goes and does the complete opposite of what he said he'd do. Some might be happy about that since they both win some money, but the other contestant, he was angry He said he felt railroaded into a choice he didn't want to make and that Nick did the opposite of what he said he was going to do. So he's a liar and is wrong. Nick made himself look like a conniving thief only to switch at the last moment and do the philanthropic thing. If you ask him, he says he did it so that the other contestant felt like he didn't have the option to be bad himself. But he had to make himself look out to be like the bad guy in order to convince him to do the right thing. It's enough to make you think that people are evil even when they do good. Well, this whole scenario in Golden Balls is based on an idea called the prisoner's dilemma. In psychology, it's this idea that two people may not cooperate together even if it is in their own best interest to do so. It's an interesting read on the details of the dilemma, but I can't help but think, how foolish do humans have to be to not do the thing that is in our own best interest? Why is it that 
cooperating together is so difficult for us to do. Those of us that consider ourselves good people, and I imagine that's the vast majority of us, we've got to be so distraught over this. Why do we keep hurting ourselves? Why do we keep doing selfish things when we know it will harm us and probably harm others around us too? Why can't we just be good to each other? Last week in my sermon at the 9.30 service, I kept referring to Scrooge's partner as Bob Marley. I conflated Bob Cratchit with, uh, that's Scrooge's current employee, with his old partner, Jacob Marley. So instead of saying Scrooge's partner's name, I kept saying the name of a reggae star that died 40 years ago. And the folks at that 9.30 service They just sniggered at me. They just laughed. Nobody shouted out to tell me that I had it wrong. But don't worry. I don't judge the folks at that earlier service. I don't judge any of you for things like that because I know that you are all redeemable just like Scrooge. In Dickinson's story, Ebenezer Scrooge goes to bed and is awoken by the ghost of Christmas past. The ghost transports him to his childhood home and Scrooge's lip trembles and a tear comes to his eye. He feels immediately connected to all the sights and sounds that he sees. The children are laughing and playing as he walks down the familiar streets. The ghost brings him to see a boy who's working hard in school who is sad and left alone. The boy is Scrooge. He is made fun of by classmates and neglected by his family. Scrooge cries again for this poor boy who tries so hard. The ghost quickly transports them forward in time. A few years later, the same boy, a little older now, is greeted by his little sister who comes into the school. She comes in and tells her brother that he can come home now. Their father is better He doesn't drink as much as he used to, and he doesn't hit anymore. He is a changed man. He's taken a few years for it again, and now he is a man apprenticing for someone else. He has co-workers and friends and is joyful. His boss invites dozens of people over for Christmas Eve, and they dance, and they dance, and they dance the whole evening away. He is happy. Scrooge is happy, which seems so surprising to us because he is such a crotchety fellow in the future. But we find out two other important details of Scrooge's life back then. One is that a few years later, his little sister, who was so innocent and always so kind to Scrooge, has died. She left behind a son, Scrooge's nephew, and this obviously weighed on his heart. But the last of what we see in here with the ghost of Christmas past is a monumentally difficult moment for Scrooge. He is with a young woman who says she doesn't matter to him anymore. He has fallen in love with someone else, something else. She is disposable to him because all he cares about is money. We talked some about this last week, but what is important here is that Ebenezer Scrooge gives up on his relationship with this woman because he is too obsessed with making money. A few years later, and he sees this woman he loved married to a different man, happy with a a full home of children, and Scrooge can take no more. He demands to be taken home because 
his heart is broken. He is ravaged emotionally, seeing all that he has lost, all that could have been his. Money never brought him the peace and solace that he always sought. Instead, he is angry and bitter and broken. This story is a warning for all of us. Peace is not found in material possessions. But where, pray tell, can peace be found? During the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire thought they could bring peace. They forced everyone into submission with military peace, a military power. They thought power and fear and intimidation would keep people in line. Of course, it didn't work. The human spirit is only subdued by fear for so long. Israel, in particular, has this rich history of resistance and independence. In Exodus, it's Egypt who they plunder and escape from. Then in the Promised Land, they resist the Philistines. In Jesus' time, it's Rome. Israel cries out to God to bring an end to this evil empire and for the Messiah to come and bring a sword to their enemies, to bring them uh, in, in war and to beat them in bloody revenge. They aren't alone in this, of course. How many times do we try and do the same thing today? How often do we want to force people to do exactly our will? I have two children, and sometimes they don't do what I want them to do. And instead of talking to them and talking it out, I try and force my will on them sometimes. Sure, I know more than them. I'm wiser, and I can see logic that they can't see. But that doesn't mean I should impose my will on them by force, does it? That only works for so long. Eventually, they will become teenagers. Eventually, they will be bigger and taller and stronger than I am. So I got to get this right now. I need peace in our home now. I need a better way than to use physical power or political power or forcing others to do my bidding in my home in my little kingdom up the hill. I need peace. Well, the Apostle Paul offers us insight in 2 Corinthians. He says this, don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. Don't let go of a sense of peace just because you experience affliction in this world. You're going to have trouble, but don't lose your focus on God. Just before the passage we read today is this famous verse about treasure in clay jars. We usually take that to mean that we are weak and fragile, but God, God is strong. Now, that's true, but that's not the point of the analogy. Paul is describing how incredibly powerful actions, both miracles and the testimony about Jesus Christ, are a treasure. And that treasure lives inside of us. God has placed it there so that others might see God in us and working through us. Our mortal bodies might get weak and die like a clay jar may break, but this simply better prepares us for an eternity with God, the source of that powerful, transformative treasure that is at work inside of us. Paul goes on to describe how we are made right with God, how we find real peace. It's no secret when we pray, when we confess to God, when we turn away from the things that are wrong, 
you find peace between you and God. The same dynamic plays out between us and other people. When you pray for others, when we confess that we have wronged them and we work to make things right again, we are at peace with others. That's the whole point of the ministry of John the Baptist. He says, I'm not good enough to untie the sandals of the coming Messiah, but if we repent, if we make the path smooth for God, we can be at peace with the Lord, and we can do the same thing with the people around us. Let's bring this message to a close here. There was a woman named Stella who one year didn't want to celebrate Christmas. Her husband had died several months before, so she decided not to decorate that year. She thought no one else would see the decorations, and she was too lonely to do it that year. That afternoon, though, just as she had decided in her mind to do this, there was a, a ring on her bell at the door. She goes to answer, and the young man at the door hands her a box and asks her to sign her name. She invites him inside from the cold, and as she signed, asked what was in the box. The man pulled the flap, and out came a Labrador puppy. She laughed and asked, who sent this dog to her? The young man handed her an envelope and said it was all in there. The dog had been purchased last July when the mother was still pregnant. She was trained and housebroken as a Christmas gift to her. Stella again asked, confused, but who bought this for me? The man said, finally, your husband, ma'am. Merry Christmas. She opened the letter, which was from her deceased husband. It explained that he had purchased the dog three weeks before his death as a last Christmas gift to her. The letter was full of words of love and encouragement to his wife to be strong and that he was waiting for the day that they would be together again. She wiped away her tears and picked up that puppy. She held it tight and noticed the Christmas lights on her neighbor's home and heard the radio playing Joy to the World. Suddenly, Stella felt a sense of peace wash over her. Joy and wonder were greater than her grief this Christmas. So she turned to her new friend and said, it's just me and you, but you know what? There's a box in the basement. I think you'll like it. It has a Christmas tree and some decorations in it. Let's go and get it. Stella was at peace because she felt her husband's love even from the grave. We can find peace this Christmas too when we recognize God's love for us. All God asks is that we have a desire for him too. Seek him and all the gifts and joys and treasures of Christ are yours. Even hard-hearted Scrooge was softened by remembering the love he had once had in his life. And I invite you to consider this as well. Jesus, the Son of God, was born to human parents. Somehow, God was willing to let imperfect parents raise his baby boy. He knows how broken we are. God knows our frailties and our selfish nature. Yet there is Jesus with these people, with these human parents. 
It's almost as if God trusts us more than we trust ourselves. So don't let the thoughtless actions of those around you steal your peace. Don't let the focus of a person on themselves distract you from Christ. Come back to Jesus. Pursue the invisible, eternal one, and you'll find peace this Christmas. Despite all you've gone through, all that is in your past, God trusts you. So as you work to make the path smooth for the coming of the King, let your heart be at peace. Amen. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.